In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents... Not another true crime podcast. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Welcome back, guys, to a very special episode of Not Another True Crime Podcast. I'm Sarah Levine. I'm Danny Murphy. Uh, and we don't matter today, though, Sarah. No, I'm not even going to intro us because I don't care about us today. <laughs> We still want you to grab wine, though, for the record. That's true. We still want you to have a glass of wine and spend some time with us and talk about crime and talk about hypes and talk about, I think, what is all of our listeners, maybe like their favorite types of crimes with our, the scams, the grifting, the the craziness that you watch unfold in real time. And then you look back and you're like, oh, I was like a part of like scam history there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're so excited. We have a really special guest journalist, executive producer of the Netflix documentary Fire, and author of Hype out April 6th. Um, It's Gabrielle Bluestone. Hey, guys. Yeah, she's also a dog mom, too. So if you have anybody who owns a French bulldog, you'll bond with her on a deeper level. (laughs) And you can absolutely follow her on Instagram, I will say. (laughs) Yes, what's her handle? I need more dogs. That's a good question. Um, I believe it is good underscore dog underscore Colette. Um, very inspired. Ooh. <laughs> Occasionally lives up to it. Love that. So your book is called Hype, How Scammers, Grifters, and Con Artists Are Taking Over the Internet and Why We're Following. First of all, facts. Truly. Comes out April 6th, and it's kind of just all about, I mean, as the title implies, scams, which we love. So I guess I just wanted to start asking you, who is your favorite influencer Ooh. to follow? And if you're also kind of hate following anyone right now. Well, <laughs> we won't tell. They might hear this, but we won't tell. Um, <laughs> yes, we won't tell. I, I mean, I have been, this has been just like the summer of the scam extended. Um, and so there has just been a lot going on. I think right now my favorite scammer influencer would have to be Ilaria. Uh, bald yes. Bald. Yes. <laughs> uh, just the commitment to that grift, as as we've all noted, is you know, like from the soul. Um, but yeah, I, I found that a lot of my follows on Instagram, actually, other than people I know, end up being hate follows, and I don't know if that's um, by nature or nurture in that sense. But <laughs> it is such an interesting phenomenon that that really it makes up half of the people that like social media behavior, there are people that you stalk and you just either like want to watch them fall or you're just so confused by them. And I feel like so many of those people fit into the category that you're talking about where it's someone who you're like, all they do all day is just like lay on their couch. How do they make their money? What are they doing? And then like, why am I buying their candle line? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and also a lot of people um, you start following and then you realize later something is like kind of a miss. Uh, it's like, I think by virtue of being let into someone's life in that sense, you almost like get a sense when something is terribly wrong. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of people who I started following for good intentions. And then it just becomes a like group chat with your friends. Like, wait, this person actually kind of sucks. 
So one person I've been following kind of in their extended universe in that sense has been uh, We Wore What. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have been following that this summer where a lot of her uh, original designs ended up being originally designed by someone else first. <laughs> they oh, were yeah. original designs, just not by her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which is like the key shameless. ingredient, I think, to fashion. <laughs> yeah, I'm in, I'm in sweatpants right now, so I can't really comment that much on fashion, but I think most designers get their name because they design their own stuff. But <laughs> when also, because she's been such, a, and I love what you talk about this in your book too, she's been one of those influencers who have scams like that and then also in the times of COVID, how they people either jump on bandwagons that they're not doing it well, and or they're trying to make like a dime from it, which is crazy. So, what's your kind of overall thought about influencers and people in or like public figures in the age of a pandemic? <laughs> well, I think it kind of almost extends to everyone because if you have a forward-facing like social media presence, I mean, every, everything is curation, right? Even if you are a private account, you're still choosing what to post and kind of what you're presenting, especially in the age of a pandemic where everyone has kind of different views on how science works and, (laughs) you know, what the appropriate precautions are. I feel like people have been self-editing a lot and kind of curating this persona even more. And so with public figures, um, especially people who have come out to say wear masks and then you see them traveling or unmasked at parties and kind of being hypocritical in that way, um, there's a huge prevalence of that because people are, you know creating this persona that doesn't match who they are. And so in a sense, I think we're all a little bit grifters. Yeah. Yeah. And that in particular has been so interesting for me to watch because there are certain influencers who it just seems like they can't help but constantly expose themselves. And it's so mind-blowing to me because I'm like, all you have to do is just not post this party or not post this trip. Like, I don't... How hard is it? That's actually something I think a lot about with Donald Trump. Like he could have lived a very happy life with whatever his scheme was. And I'm sure that that will continue to unravel now that he's out of office. But, like all he had to do was not run for presidency. <laughs> just gripped him for the rest of his life happily. It's so funny though. Interesting to say like, as because now uh, as a dog person, you know this, it's like telling, I feel like telling an influencer or telling someone who's a narcissist not to post what they're doing is like telling your dog, like, don't lick your butt. Just don't do it. <laughs> they don't, like, it's something in their brain. I feel like that, like, because they could just ha- live such a happy life and like, putting off the facade of being such like a caring person, the pandemic or beyond, but they're just like, but I got a Mai Tai in Miami and I'm gonna, like, they don't even know how to not share that, which is such a interesting psychology that I feel is just getting worse and worse for the newer generations. Cause now it's second, not even second nature. It's first nature to be promoting all that. That was actually something that randomly came up several times with people that I spoke to for the book, uh, anyone who had had that I talked to had had the, the luxury of traveling by private jet described the same internal conflict of like, do I post about this? Did this even happen if I didn't post? Is it worth it if I don't post about it? Um, which kind of like, take, I was looking at like the Museum of Ice Cream, for example, right? Like, love, you t- yeah. like who, you're paying $40 to take a nice picture. And and that's cool if we all agree on that. But to like, be like, oh, I'm going to a museum. Like, no, you're going to get a good backdrop. Yeah. But then with Kim Kardashian and her travel, or what did she do? She took that trip. We all know. <laughs> the, the infamous um, caption, me and my 13 yeah. friends who quarantined. Yeah. That was so insane to me because it's like, you can enjoy a vacation without bragging about it. Not to mention, you already live in a mansion. So staying home is not hard for you anyway. Mm-hmm. Kind of with that too, I'm wondering your thoughts on 
celebrity as a whole, but also kind of with your focus, like on the ideas of like these influencers and these more so social media figures. How do you think when one day we all are vaccinated and we're back into our <laughs> quote unquote non-quarantined life, do you think like public opinion is going to shift on them? Like have people, have you in your research been noticing more and more people being like, oh, I care less what they're doing because I just am happy I have a roof over my head or something in that regard? Yes and no. I don't think that influencing is ever going to die out, but I think that people kind of age themselves out of it. Mm. Not say age, that that's, <laughs> that's what people kind of um, take themselves out of it, right? Like you lose faith in an influencer. They have enough scandals that they are effectively you know, toxic to advertisers, but someone else is always going to come and step up in their place. The, you know, reality shows right now are, are basically just breeding grounds for influencers. Um, <laughs> and, and people go in knowing what character they want to play and what kind of, you know, what kind of brand deals they want to do after. And they actually like edit their, their roles accordingly on the show. Um, like I talked to people who kind of had that experience as well. So I think there's, there's just a constant pipeline of personable good looking people who want to sell you shit. <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to stop. It's a, it's a great gig. I mean, yeah. Why would anyone not want to be doing that? Yeah. So, um, you kind of like unpack, let's say a lot of influencers and, and their controversies in your book. Um, have you ever had anyone come for you over it? Not yet. <laughs> okay. Let's wait till April 7th. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, and then we'll have to report on your DMs. Yeah, no, I haven't gotten like too much of a negative reaction from anyone yet, but fingers crossed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and sort of uh, with kind of on the flip side of influencing, I feel like also because digital media is sort of everywhere now and you've come from such a journalist background. How do you feel kind of just from your personal opinion and your professional experience working in journalism, how have you felt social media evolve that? And have you noticed the people going into journalism even change because of that? Because I feel like if like people aren't doing a reality show, sometimes journalists go into a thing to be like, okay, well, now I'm a fashion editor and now people follow me, please, because now I have fun blazers. <laughs> um, well, it's definitely interesting in terms of how people build their audience and then what they do with it once they have it. Um, but just in terms of digital media, I've seen a lot of journalists like there's either two things, right? There's the, there are the people that retweet everything with like the look and the eye emoji. Um, <laughs> like a lot of people like turn themselves into like AP clearing houses. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting too. Like I, I think when you're trying to break into digital media, it definitely helps to have a Twitter presence. I wasn't one of those people. I was actually too scared to post on Twitter most of the time. So instead Same. of um, Docker, I don't know how that made What's it. What's scary about Twitter? <laughs> Besides everything. Um, but definitely, like, I, you know, even even in terms of getting jobs or getting interviews, um, definitely for journalism, probably, you know, podcasts, movie uh, casting, I know, is like an issue. Like, you have to have a minimum number of followers. Like, you want to get a book deal, you have to have a minimum number of followers, which is the Caroline Calloway story. Um, so you definitely have to create that persona. I was so excited to see that in the book, to be honest, because, like... I feel like people don't talk about what's happening with her book enough. Which one? <laughs> yes. And also, I mean, facts. Are there books? Like, <laughs> I will say it was a great motivator covering that story while I was writing my book because I was like, I have to finish this. Like, there's no way I can I can leave this undone. <laughs> That's true. You yeah. can't be like this and this bitch never publish a book. Then you're like, uh oh, I have chapters still. <laughs> yeah. 
You're, I feel like everything in the book is so like timely. Can you tell us um, how long it took you to write it? Yeah, it was kind of a rolling thing. Um, when Fire Festival happened, and even in terms of when I was talking about how we're all kind of grifters online, I was thinking about what enabled that to succeed and why and, and kind of how we're all using social media without thinking about it. And so with that kind of framework in mind, as I started writing it, all of these new scams that kind of were relevant to that hypothesis, like kept rolling in. So like Anna Delvey happened, uh, the Caroline Calloway scandal started peaking right as the documentaries came out. Um, and so it actually took me longer to finish because stuff kept happening and I kept being like, all right, I'll add a little bit more in. Um, like I would, I would still be writing this book today if <laughs> the deadline hadn't been called. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it just never ends. Like you could add like the Hilaria Baldwin stuff. Like you could just keep going. I mean, that is my greatest regret in life. Maybe, maybe for the paperback edition. Ooh, yes. <laughs> yes. And, and we can do a whole like separate book about Trump scams. Yeah. We're just going to feed you ideas. For the book. That might, you need a few more experts on that one. It truly, but I think that's the n- n- weird way to say like beauty, but the fascination with the topics of your book, because they are, they're both always new uh, scandals and stories, but they, you get to see the evolution of where they come from and how people kind of get, in, quote unquote, inspired almost to start doing their own stuff because they see people like a Billy McFarlane doing like, okay, well, he's making a lot of money doing these things, not really having a lot of follow through. Why? Let me let me spin that wheel. <laughs> well, that's like how there's an entire industry now, people who just teach people how to teach other people courses on what a finance or how to get him back or, you know, there's a whole cottage industry of that. That is pyramid scheme. Truly. Cause there are so many times I feel like it's like not even like a master class, but it's just someone saying, pay me $125 for a zoom link. And I'll tell you how to be like, confident and i'm like what the what the f like what what are we doing here who is this and it's and it's sad too because you get the people that are because they like the person doing the class or they want to be that person's friend or so on so forth and then cut to they're down 150 dollars just for like a elongated meet and greek load (laughs) exactly yeah so i definitely want to talk about fire festival I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, there's, where do we start? There's so much to discuss. One thing that I thought was like interesting was I feel like when the news first broke, this to me was just like, I didn't realize almost how big of a deal it was because I didn't know a single person who was going. I had seen the posts and then just been like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Like I'd heard about Fire Festival, but I was never actually thinking about going. Mm-hmm. I was in the same boat until I saw someone I had gone to high school with posting about it. And then you had that like, oh, someone I follow is like directly involved. So then I like clicked on it and looked at it. And if it had been professional looking, you know, there's a good chance I might have like grabbed a ticket too. Yeah. I don't know. But it looks like a high school coding class experiment. Like <laughs> so low brand for what they were purporting to sell that it seems just immediately obvious as like a, a regular consumer that it was, there was something like very, very wrong. I do feel like too, in I, what was this 2017 when this happened, yes. like the festival circuit was at such a sort of apex anyway, that half of festivals felt like scams because you're like, 
who is this random person? Anyone could just basically decide they wanted to start a festival and it had never been done before. And you would just buy a ticket and like hope for the best. And some of them would be really well done, but then some of them would be kind of janky and you're just kind of like taking a gamble. Like some there are truly like, oh, we don't have water, which I mean did happen at Fire Festival with <laughs> different uh, end games. But uh, yeah, but there's some places just like, I'm waiting online an hour for a Dasani, not even yeah. a Poland Spring. Okay, yeah. And also, like, I mean, the head- I don't think they had announced headliners on the tickets first one on sale, but the headliner was Blink-182. Like, who is actually going to see Blink-182? I think it's very much in line with, like, the Museum of Ice Cream, right? Like, people were buying tickets because they knew they could take beautiful pictures there and broadcast this experience of, like, oh, I'm at the Bella Hadid party. Um, and I, I truly believe that if they had managed to put on some semblance of a festival, if like the tents had all been up and a couple bands performed, that people that were there would have gone along with it and like Instagrammed as if they were having the times of their lives. Like, I really do believe that. That is so interesting. And I feel like any per- every person listening to this right now is almost nodding in their head because we've all been on a trip that like was not fucking fun. But yeah. you're like, well, I'm here and I bought a ticket. Let me... Let me like take a photo of a sunset to kind of like make or break to make it sell because then it almost makes it worthwhile for you. Or then you're like, oh, someone said they wish I was here. Yes, that I think is 100% on the nose. Like maybe you didn't have fun, but at least your digital <laughs> avatar did. <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, because of course, everyone, everyone, all of our listeners were so obsessed with the Netflix doc. Can you kind of tell them a little bit how you were involved with it and kind of what that process was like? Yes. So I, um, I've been covering the festival in print for Vice News. And I, it just seemed like there was such a bigger story going on than like the specifics of what had happened that day, as funny as it was. Um, and so as I was writing, I kicked the idea of like trying to turn it into something film. I didn't know if it would be like a series or a documentary or what. And at the same time, uh, Chris Smith had been looking for a project and was talking to the people at the top. And the news kind of met in the middle. And um, we filmed my interview. I think I was the first interview in the documentary. We filmed it the same day that the Hulu documentary was announced. So had we filmed it like a day or two later, it might never have happened. I think everybody was collectively losing their mind over that being like, it was like a great week of my life. It was a great week. And also we were like, is this cross promo? No, they're not because they're not their competitors. Can you tell us like what was inside, like coming from inside the house being like, when you heard the news about Hulu? <laughs> Actually, I heard the news that they had dropped their documentary while I was filming um, some kind of promo, I think maybe for NBC. And someone was like, oh, Hulu, they dropped their documentary. I was like, oh, thank God, they're not going to do it anymore. And they're like, no, it's streaming right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, have to, I mean, I have to give them begrudging credit, right? Because their timing was impeccable. They waited to release it until they released it at the same time that the embargo for the reviews for the Netflix documentary was lifted. So anytime anyone tried to search fire, the Hulu documentary would come up at the same time. So they kind of yeah. leaped on that, which is brilliant. I, I That's can't- a scam okay. and I love it. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> That's a legal scam. We approve yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is so savvy. So in your book, um, I feel like you talk about like fuck Jerry's involvement in like Fire Festival and um, they also worked on the docs. So I wanted to know like what that was like if you had like worked with them as as this was kind of unfolding and the controversy about them too. Mm-hmm. Um, so our work was pretty compartmentalized. Um, I worked pretty much with Chris and they were also working with Chris, but we didn't really meet much in the middle, especially because I was kind of investigating them at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's interesting, right? Because 
the question is like who knew what when and who's responsible for what and those are two very different questions like they everyone that was involved in fire from you know the secretary up to billy mcfarland like knew something was wrong but they thought that they were working in this like bootstrapping startup like you know they thought that they were like on a team working towards something and so i look at that a little bit too like why people didn't quit or why you would keep working in that situation. And that's something I ask myself too. Like if I, you know, I'm making a paycheck, like I'm, this is my job. And you see that like something's wrong on a level that you can't really touch. I, I don't know. Um, there is in the book, uh, there is a, a memo that they wrote uh, about what was going wrong and what could be done. And I think it's really interesting. I encourage everyone to uh, check it out. But um, yeah, it definitely delves into like, who is aware of what and where that responsibility lies. And so with that, do they know about your book or like, does anyone that was involved with Firefest know about your book and have, have you sent them copies or not yet? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Some people know, some people are happy about it. Some people are not. I have uh, been warned that lawyers are going to be taking careful looks, which I hope no one is too offended. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's, I mean, like, don't, don't bother a lawyer on their lunch break to have to like read a book about their client. Like, let, I mean, let the lawyer buy your book at your own time and let them drink it with wine, but not to try to like, (laughs) try to get themselves pull one over. Well, in terms of who knew what, I'm really curious, like, do you think that Billy ever actually intended to put on a festival? Like, what do you truly think in your heart of hearts that his end game was? I think that his end game was to live that Instagram lifestyle that we were kind of talking about before. He wanted to take the private jets and have the relation, you know, ambiguous relationships with models as a business and personal, no one knows. Um, and I think that the festival was the vehicle for him getting there. I don't think he ever intended to like take everyone's money and not do a thing, but I don't think it was ever his priority. And that's why it ended the way it did. And he was definitely stealing money. Like there's no question. He pleaded guilty to that. Uh, But in terms of actually putting the thing on, you know, I I think he went into it with like good intentions, but quickly stopped caring. Good intentions blinded by like greed and just the (laughs) way to just get more money type of thing. Models. Yeah, models. There were like so many times in the book too where you're just like, oh yeah, and he took he was running out of money to pay this essential vendor and instead took a fifty thousand dollar private flight to the Bahamas. And that was just like in my head, just like, dude, what are you doing? Like as I'm reading the book. His employees thought that he was paying for those out of his own pocket. They thought he was like this very wealthy trust fund guy. They don't have no idea. Someone told me like, oh, I feel like an asshole now knowing. Now, yeah. And it's kind (laughs) of with that too, I I like that you brought up the employees because of course they didn't always know everything. But I think, and what me and Sarah have talked about this, a theme with scammers or just people in general that kind of like to get to the top, they're surrounded, and we even saw it in the White House, they surround themselves with people who are like, you're amazing. Oh my God, you're a genius. And if someone says, wait, they're fired, they're gone. What do you, what have you learned about the relationship of like that with, uh, in like researching scammers and everything like that? The people that are just kind of building them up, are they, what does their role really play and how much of a factor are they? Well, I think an element of those people too, and you saw that in the White House and with the people around Billy, is that those people are kind of hanging on the coattails as well. Like they're going along for the ride. Um, and I think that that encourages that, you know, 
sycophantism is that the word <laughs> I should probably look that I up. know what you mean <laughs> we'll allow it um, well, I encourage people to act as a sycophant in that way because you know and then one of actually one of Billy's early victims told me this where it was like she was working on spec she expected to be paid but she didn't know for sure whether that money was coming or not but he made it sound so exciting and it was like so cool you know you take all his employees out to the club on the weekends and just being a part of it was so fun for them and it was this community that they felt they were like a part of that you know okay he didn't pay me this week but that's cool like you're doing it i'm i'm behind you i'm supporting you there's there's a lot of mental gymnastics involved in it i think like even in traditional companies, there's like so much of that. Oh, we're like a family and then there's random perks and you're like, all right, I guess free popcorn in the office is cool. But like I'm getting paid 30 grand a year. Like, where do you draw the line? You know? Yeah, your office is not your family and HR is not your friend. Oh, and that, <laughs> yes. If you take one thing out of this, that is that that is that. And it's so <laughs> interesting to the way almost like looking at companies that work like that. It, it gets it to a part two of almost like cult energy too like it's very culty in the sense that it's like you're following this uh boss blindly and like they don't really give you follow through on all the promises but they make you feel included and they make you feel special so it's almost like they can like hunk in on the people that would tick with that a little bit better it's crazy well i think you saw that in like grant margolin if you watched the documentaries carefully but it always makes me think of a story about adam newman who brought a bunch of employees with him when the woolworth building uh, they, I think they just started construction like on the, in the penthouse is like the top floor, it's like a 70 story building. And it was like a construction site. There were no guard railings up and he brought a group of employees up and like dared one of them to drink out of a, you know, a half empty beer bottle that, that had been left behind. And they did. And he like dared them to go out to the edge, even though they were all drunk. And they did. These people were literally following him to the edge of a building. Like it really was. <laughs> <sighs> culty my god i'm just not charismatic enough to be a scammer so <laughs> there we that, that's one thing i've learned <laughs> but i'm not i but i am sometimes gullible enough to fall for random scams i feel like no one oh, yeah. is immune to it even if you think you're smart and you see all the signs you don't so kind of with it too have you ever been on the receiving side of like an instagram scam an mlm scam or something like that or have uh-huh. you been free well, I mean, I've definitely 100% fallen for the, like, here's what it looks like on the website, and then here's what it looks like when it arrives kind of order. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't want to give too much of it away, but I do go in, into detail in the book of how I was sort of scammed a bit by Daniel Bernstein of We Wore What. Um, so I was Instagram scammed. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you guys actually were talking about this the other day um, in terms of scam calls. And that's, that's something I fall for a lot. I always pick up the number with my phone number in it. It's like a narcissism thing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you got to meet your number twin. I know. <laughs> I always think it's someone from my hometown just calling to be like, I'm just proud of you. And I'm like, thank you. And then it's someone <laughs> saying like, my car is being towed. And I'm like, I live in Brooklyn and I don't have a car. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I call it like Schrodinger's catfish. Until you answer, you don't know whether it's someone calling to tell you they love you or someone calling to tell you that you've won free tickets to a cruise. You just never know. <laughs> free tickets to Fire Festival. That's a scam call that I want. <laughs> I, I'll, I would follow that. I would, I would try to track that down. That was actually my favorite detail of all of Fire was when everything went bad. They sent out letters to all the people that they had scammed saying, listen, we can either refund you now or we'll give you two free VIP, VIP tickets to next year's Fire Festival. I remember that. I was like, there is no way on this earth that there's going to be a next year. No. <laughs> 
you know what? I thought at least one person selected that option. Uh, without a doubt. And they texted their friend, we got in. We're good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they can now like play like Jenga with Billy McFarlane in jail. Like, yeah. Also, isn't Ja Rule doing like another app version that's basically fire right now? It's called Icon. Uh, all one word. Come on. Who? It's like Ja like, Rule. Who is looking over your stuff? Like they should have really been like, dude, are you really going to call it Icon after you were initially named in like a hundred million dollar lawsuit right. for defrauding people? I mean, that's the thing that's funny is like the underlying idea of an app that you could book like music apps through. It's actually a great idea. Like the Uber of music apps, but like, no one has figured out a way to actually do it yet. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I worked in live music and I was just kind of, I never understood the concept of the app because I was just like, there's a reason that talent bookers exist. And it's because like, I mean, maybe Ja Rule would book his own schedule, but most artists just, you know, they can't do that. They don't have the capacity. So they, they were trying to cut out a middleman that was sort of necessary, I felt like. Although Ja Rule actually was one of the few artists that did get booked out on the fire. Yes. <laughs> it all went wrong. And the person that booked him was Lizzie Grubman. Oh, stop. Famous for running over a bunch of people with her car in the Hamptons and calling them white trash. Um, just a little anecdote there. That's a little tablet history right there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I did not know her and Ja Rule's circles overlapped. Of course they that did. That is iconic. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> I think I'm going to start an app just called I'm Scamming. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm curious too, because in the, um, because we did just live through and we're talking about, it's like impossible not to talk about, but with the election cycle that we just went through, I feel like this was the one that for the first time, it was so social media heavy and there was like so much, it was the, because of course everyone was trying to target younger voters or people who aren't really registered to vote or don't care that much. Where do they spend their time? Most likely online, like everybody else. Can you talk a little bit about your uh, like investigation to that and then specifically how it was kind of a, uh, his uh, heart in the wrong place, right place, who knows, Mayor Bloomberg's kind of attempt to meme his way to the White House. Yeah, well, this had like a long kind of rich history that actually started with Joe Biden, um, with The Onion relentlessly parodying him as this like, you know, guy who would wash a Trans Am shirtless in his driveway, like Uncle Joe kind of thing. They created this persona for him um, that they've since apologized for. (laughs) But, you know, I think that goes like a long way kind of your pop culture icon avatar whatever and so i think bloomberg was kind of going for that when he hired fuck jerry or some of the principals from fuck jerry to run a meme campaign on his behalf and it was you know a small part of his overall billion dollar campaign budget that netted him one american territory Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but you know first of all it created like an existential crisis for social media companies in terms of how do you regulate political ads when it's being posted by influencers. Um, and then whether, you know, that's effective or funny. I feel exactly it's that. It's like, what is the overall effectiveness of it? Because I feel like there were so many times that you, at the end of the day, we realized that a lot of younger voters turned out because of more, almost more borderline traditional aspects of like getting out the vote in a very localized sense mm-hmm. versus this like overarching, you have an account with 2 million followers saying, Bloomberg's funny, ha ha ha, doesn't really translate into anything. And I think it's kind of a cool point of view that it's like, sure, those influencers might be able to 
like translate to e-com for themselves, but like what really is their sway to things that could affect people's lives? Well, it's funny too, because in terms of like traditional influencing, I think you are seeing like maybe not as much, you know, click through rates, but it's an excellent venue if you want to create awareness of a product or, you know, localize it within like a certain lifestyle. So you might not see specific clicks on it, but like, I don't know, like the fact that I know what diff eyewear is, I'm never going to buy it, but I'm very aware of it. That is so true. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I loved how even that strategy was just like very fire festival esque. Like I feel like fuck Jerry does one thing well, and it's just a meme blitz. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, they're very good at gathering audiences and, and then, marketing to that audience, whether the marketing is effective is another question. But I think you saw with Fire Festival, like that was incredibly effective marketing. I mean, even in the the name recognition that you just mentioned, because we're still talking about it like four years later. I mean, I will never stop talking about it, but well, the other, I guess the other unintended effect of that is if you get it out there enough on social media, even if it's not resulting in votes or like immediate click through is like you are legitimizing something in a way Um, so even if you don't necessarily know if you want to buy it, you are trusting that this is a real company or you're trusting that this is a real candidate. Um, so it kind of helps create a patina of legitimacy that then, um, enables, you know, blogs or, you know, digital media or even traditional print media, um, into covering you as a real thing. Like you can kind of like build this credibility step by step, um, starting with a meme account. Yeah, and I love that. It's so crazy, too, because that's like such an interesting point because it automatically creates a new press story, which, in fact, then will just be a press story and it'll be like in a relatively harmless light of being like, these meme accounts now love Blue Blue, you know what I mean? Or something like that. Or like these meme accounts, everyone's talking about White Claw, which I love that you also brought up how like White Claw <laughs> kind of came onto the scene. And I was like, I, and that was one of the funny things too. I was like, I didn't even realize that I fell for white claws marketing but i so seamlessly flawlessly did Mm -hmm. and i do too and i think about this all the time like i wrote a book about how people are trying to sell you things on instagram and i buy things on instagram all the time i just can't stop myself what's the last thing that you purchased that you can remember um it was like a headband that i don't know why i bought it was the wheelies sadogi it was so cute and it came with a masking mask and it looked so good on the influencer i've worn it like one time that is the new frontier of how they're getting people to. I will buy anything if it matches a mask. Like they really, that's the new in- Instagram way and it is working flawlessly. You feel like you're accessorizing. You're doing something. Yeah, Fauci's And you're proud. helping people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I just wanted to like wrap up by asking, um, I think you mentioned the the social dilemma in your book and there's like a lot of doom and gloom in social media, but there's also a lot of upsides to it. Like we saw with... Um, you know, just like in the election cycle and, and people like spreading information and, and good sentiments. So where do you see the future of social media going and, and where do you like hope it's going to go? Um, well, I love the direction it's going in on TikTok. Like that's like the more, yes. more internet, right? Like everyone's just being creative and funny. You're not necessarily trying to sell yourself as anything or sell anything to anyone, at least not that I've seen so much you know you can't like tag a product in a tiktok so i love that kind of move towards creative expression i think instagram is going to become just a giant shopping mecca it already is they they're building towards that but you know it's it's a platform for buying things um so hopefully we're going to go in a more 
fun and creative direction, but you know, I don't know. It's the lure of it is very strong. It's do you have a TikTok? Um, I do. I've only lurked on TikTok so far, but that's how it starts. You'll be making a savage dance next week. Yeah, you'll be doing it. But it's so funny because so, it is the one social media app I think ever that I only leave happy. You know what I mean? Like, it's like I'll do a little TikTok break that I'm just like smiling, being like, oh, that was so fun because they're either adorable stories or really funny. Or I'm just like, oh, that's so cool. Versus like Instagram where I'm like, why can't, why am I not? like in like with nine abs on the beach, like getting Cartier <laughs> themed rosé shoved down my throat. What's happening? Yeah. How did I miss the private jet to Miami? I don't get it. <laughs> I'm too afraid of flying to do a private jet. So I luckily don't have that jealousy, but all the other ones. <laughs> we can split those fake private jets that are just grounded that you take pictures in. <laughs> yeah, all of the hate and none of the vacation. It's exactly. Truly, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so you drive to a fake airport. I don't understand what like high pass, like high passes really are doing some crazy shit over there. <laughs> I was going to say, um, the only time I enjoy Instagram anymore is when people post TikToks. <laughs> Cause it, yeah. Cause it's either it's a TikTok or then you just click a random button. And I'm like, why am I at a checkout for a sweater? How did I get to here? It's like, yeah. <laughs> and why is this sweater $500? They started sending me um, updates now when like brands that I follow add new things to their stores. And I can't even turn them off. Yeah. We've gone too far. (laughs) It's insane. But that's why luckily we have experts like you and people that are well-versed to be so absorbed in it, but also able to critique it and respond to it. So then we'll have like a hype two, a hype three, a hype four, five, six. Because truly, I mean, the book is so good. And I feel in this conversation we just had, there's like nine new things going on in the world that you could just have endless material for. Yeah, I don't disagree. This hype cycle is never ending. <laughs> there's hype with hype, yes. Definitely. Yeah, I really enjoyed the book, like genuinely. And I think guys, if you're listening, you are going to love it too. We love hearing about scams. And this is going to give you that in spades. Again, check out Hype out April 6th um, by Gabrielle. And um, let us know what you think. Just DM us, NATC pod, or put it in the group, not another true crime group. Mm-hmm. Um, Gabrielle, do you want to plug your handles as well? Are you private or? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm very public. I think I might be the least followed verified account on Instagram. That's not a scientific fact. I'm going to fall into uh, what's the, the records book, but um, it's G Bluestone on Instagram and G underscore Bluestone on Twitter. And sometimes I'm funny. I'll try my best. <laughs> Entertaining and so uh, give some information. <laughs> I love that. Well, well, thank, thank you so much. So much. You are two of like the first people who have read the books. So that means so much to hear. Oh that. my god! Wait, yeah. I so actually sweet. thought it was like such a great read. Like I was just reading it like on the subway and stuff. Like it was. I I really genuinely did like enjoy it so much. Thank you. It's a good book for people who love gossip. Yeah, it's, well, <laughs> totally. It's true candy, and it's like the like you just are like, oh my god, this is what I'm thinking. This is perfect. It's like you're nodding in agreement, and it feels like you're like having a conversation with the book almost. Thank you so much. So well I'm happy so to hear perfect. that other people are going through this like, tum- like tumultuous experience with social media and like your relationship with it and all the myriad ways are getting scammed. <laughs> <laughs> the limit does not exist. Yes. I was going to say that. <laughs> not Another True Crime Podcast is produced by Jorge Morales Pico and Sean Kilby. Our hosts are Sarah Levine and Danny Murphy. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Sarah Levine. Be sure to follow at NATC Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to NATC at Betches.com.
Betches.